It's not always easy to find the positive. You might even need to search for happiness. Sometimes, just a little inspiration can make the difference. Here, it comes from unexpected places. Welcome to the Tangential Inspiration Podcast. We were discouraged with all the negativity in the world and decided to focus on finding some good out there. Welcome to the Tangential Inspiration Podcast with me, Teresa. And me, Amy. We're two ordinary moms looking for inspiration wherever we can find it. Finally got to babysit again oh, last night. It took sweet. us a while to figure out a date, but and last night the boys <laughs> were a little bit wild. This time... And Remind I'm, me how old they are again. Five, three, and almost one. Oh, um, that's busy. baby has busy. been yeah, very busy for mommy. Um, and I think COVID babies... Um, they've been with moms, you know, with, during quarantine. So they are having a harder time separating. So I, last time it was a little bit of a challenge and once, you know, like everything, once mom and dad go, it's fine. fine. um, And I loved the snuggle time. They were just all sorts of adorable and I already have a plan for next month. Yay. Fun. Eddie Barkin was 32 years old, a lawyer, having graduated from Yale Law was working for a nonprofit center for popular democracy that promoted equity for immigrants, fought for profit prisons, and advocated for racial justice. So wow. a good guy. Yeah. Addie was married to his wife, Rachel, who was an English professor at the University of California, Santa Barbara. His great joy was holding his then four-month-old son, Carl. Aww. In Addie's mind, life was perfect. Yeah. Then one Sunday in 2016, Annie and Rachel were having lunch with some friends, one of whom was a medical resident in the neurology department at the local hospital. Addie had made an offhanded comment about getting carpal tunnel syndrome from holding Carl so much, the baby. His friend did a few quick neurological tests, checking grip strength, examining his gait, and checking knee and foot reflexes. I mean, they went out to the car. So she suggested that he see a neurologist for a full examination. Not... Yeah. Within a few weeks, you know, and many doctor visits, neurological testing, and a few MRIs, Addie was told he had ALS. I was wondering that. Yeah. As Addie would put it, he was given his death sentence. ALS, also known as Lou Gehrig's disease, is a neurological disease that causes muscles to get paralyzed over time. It causes people to lose the ability to walk before moving onto other muscle groups that allow people to speak, eat, and breathe. Yeah. It eventually leads to complete shutdown of the respiratory system. There's no cure for ALS, and it's always fatal, often within five years of diagnosis. As his disease progressed, Addie lost the ability to walk, and he became confined to a wheelchair. He became dependent on a ventilator to breathe, and for Addie, worst of all, he lost the ability to speak. He said, my whole world is going paralyzed, but losing my voice is far more consequential for me than losing my ability to walk. I've got a lot to say and not a lot of time left to say it in. Of course, all this came at a time with, you know, crushing medical bills. Yeah. Addie needed a ventilator to breathe, full-time nursing care. His insurance company denied those medical um, expenses. Wow. They said they weren't necessary and he had to fight his way through an appeal process to get them covered. Which oh seems gosh. ridiculous that they have horrible. like up to five years. I mm, something has to change yeah. on that. 
Addie says, the experience of begging for my life was completely dehumanizing. The system is set up to make people struggle all the time. They would deny things right away, hoping that we would just pay and not challenge the bill. Right. After a difficult fight with the insurance company, he has full-time nurse coverage, a ventilator, as well as a computer system that allows him to talk by looking oh, at a screen. Yeah. Kind of similar to the system developed. He sounds very much like Stephen Hawking. Right, right. It allows him to communicate with his family, his caregivers, and even give speeches. And boy, has he given speeches. Um, That's what he's doing, among other things. Addie Barkin, despite ALS, is advocating around the country to provide for more public funding in health care, specifically to provide more at-home care for people with severe disabilities and the elderly. Addie's become one of the leading voices in the movement for publicly funding health care. He meets with political leaders, grassroots organizers, and is a frequent speaker and talk show guest about the need for more government That's funding awesome. for programs that provide in-home health care. In 2017, he famously confronted then-Arizona Senator Jeff Flake on a flight asking him to be an American hero by voting against a tax bill that would further restrict access to the type of care that Addie relies on. Yeah. From that confrontation, Addie started his Be a Hero campaign, which promotes healthcare as a basic human right and uses grassroots campaigning to bring stories to lawmakers, educate the public, and support elections for candidates who are pushing for healthcare reform. He even participates in protests, and he's been arrested several times. Oh, man. Despite his That's ALS. That's awesome. I, I mean, it really is. Despite having excellent health insurance, Addie admits that insurance does not cover everything related to the 24-hour care that ALS requires, which is crazy to me. Yeah. He fully acknowledges that his situation is not the reality faced by others. There are currently 820,000 patients on Medicaid waiting for home care. The average wait time to receive needed home care is 39 months. Wow. That's more than three years on average, where some of these people don't even have three years left. Right. The average monthly cost for 24-hour home care is $17,000 a month. In 2019, it. Rachel and Addie had their second child, a daughter named Willow, and Addie scaled back his travel after having spent more than six weeks on the road in 2018. He's still a strong advocate and in- intimately involved in the fight for more access to health care. He spends much of his days on Zoom calls with allies and politicians, writing emails and memos and making media appearances. At night, his children... Willow and Carl will sit on his lap and listen to Aretha Franklin or watch Sesame Street. His fight is the subject of the 2019 documentary, Not Going Quietly. You can rent on most streaming services or currently you can view it on Canopy. That's with a K. I haven't watched it yet, but I can't wait to watch it. One of the executive producers is Bradley Whitford, who started one of my husband's favorite shows, The West Wing. Okay. Whitford says of Addie that he embodies a weird combination of refusing to compromise under the direst of conditions and an incredibly effective, pragmatic political mind. Democracy is his religion. And while Addie supports Joe Biden in 2020, Addie does not see his fight as a political fight as much as a moral issue. Yeah. He said providing care for people we love isn't a Republican or a Democratic issue. It's an American issue and a moral one to ensure that everyone gets to live safely with dignity and respect. Oh, yeah. It's just so inspiring to me that this man who suffered so much that just each day of living is a challenge, he's working so hard to try to make things better for others. 
And he says, I keep going because giving up won't make life easier. I want to leave behind a legacy that inspires at least a couple of new people to get involved, be part of our political process. The cure for what ails American democracy is more American democracy. That's awesome. So, you know, over spring break, I went on a high school educational tour to France and Spain with my daughter, Lucy. So fun. Yeah, it was great. The trip was nine days, and it was certainly quite an adventure. We made lots of good memories. It gave me a chance to get to know Lucy's language arts teacher and foreign language teachers, and as well as parents and students, which is kind of cool mm-hmm. to learn, get to know people, more people Talk in the about community. memories for her. Yeah, yeah, it was super fun. But while in Spain, we visit uh, Pamplona, Montserrat, and Barcelona. We had a local guide who took us on a tour of each of the cities. Our guide in Barcelona was super charming and informative. She showed us some of the incredible architecture created by Spanish architect Antonio Gaudi. I was blown away. His style of work stands out. It's almost kind of out of this world. It's whimsical and very unusual. So I decided to research him for our podcast, something a little different. Yeah, I love that. Gaudi's architecture has a lot of curved lines and soft colors and an organic feel. He uses colorful mosaics, lots of natural elements. He kind of introduced these iron balconies and gates. He was a pioneer figure of Art Nouveau and modernism. His architecture was inspired by nature and religion. He was born in 1852 in Bax Camp um, on the Mediterranean off the coast of Spain. His father was a coppersmith. Uh, he was the youngest of five children. Uh, his family suffered many losses, uh, losing two of his siblings at young ages of two and four, respectively. Uh-huh. His older brother died in 1876 just after completing medical school, and his mother died shortly after. Gosh. And later his eldest sister died, leaving his tiny uh, disabled sister to care for his their father. And Gaudi himself was very sickly as a child and spent quite a bit of his youth bedridden, where he spent a lot of time looking out a window at the beauty of nature, which later he would draw upon for inspiration. Mm -hmm. He went to the Provincial School of Architecture in 1874. Interestingly, I read he was an average student. Uh, However, he was an excellent draftsman, which allowed him to sketch out even really small details by hand. He used a lot of scale models to experiment with shapes and Mm -hmm. structures. While finishing his studies, he worked with architect Joseph von Steyr. He worked on this waterfall in Citadula uh, Park. It's also known as the Green Lung, Hmm. which I really found kind of interesting that they kind of look at green spaces as a way to kind of, you know, help with the environment and help with pollution. But they talk about that Mm -hmm. just like because we were asking about one area, oh, is that pollution? And we were in an area of woods and a green Mm -hmm. space. They're like, oh, no, 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 that's fog. But they think about it in those terms. So Mm -hmm. I thought it was interesting, the Mm -hmm. green lung. I mean, I just wonder. We could learn from that over here. That was part of it then, too. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was one of the first public parks in Barcelona. The waterfall forms the main element in the park. It's water flowing into this artificial lake below. I unfortunately didn't get to see it. It just looks beautiful, though, from the photographs. At the time, Gaudi was just finishing university. Modernism was in full force, especially in Catalonia, which made up the four provinces of Barcelona, Girona, Lleida, and Tarragona. He must have been a decent student. He was a decent student, but I think his work was so different Mm -hmm. that it just kind of 
you know, it was a little bit, contra- I think a little bit out there. Yeah. So he didn't fit in. With he it. didn't maybe fit in. Modernism embraced everything in arts, in the crafts, film, photography, really culture as a whole. The key characteristics are, uh, rather than straight lines, it's more curved curved lines and a lot of plant motifs. Mm. A lot of nature is mm-hmm. involved. Gaudi started his career designing lampposts. can be seen today in Barcelona off the La Ramba, where the popular eateries are. Mm-hmm. It was quite an honor. He was commissioned by the Barcelona City Council. These lampposts are ornate and are mounted to stone bases. Pretty um, amazing that they're still there. Yeah, yeah, they're really spectacular. He created two styles, one with a three-arm lamp that's adorned with, like, decorative flowers, and then another six-arm with these intertwining snakes. Another one of his early works was the monumental rosary at Montserrat. It's a sculpture of a giant rosary. Uh, it is set in these religious sculptures along a path leading to the monastery to the shrine of the Holy Cave. So interesting that he's got flowers, snakes. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's... Eclectic. It's really, a, yeah, really eclectic. Uh, Montserrat is a monastery situated in the countryside. We took a day trip there about 45 minutes from Barcelona. It's got fabulous views of the city. Uh, it's pretty incredible when you're up there, you're thinking that this was built into the mountainside mm-hmm. in like this, I think it was like in the 16th century. And it's like wow. really crazy. But, uh, and there's this little crazy little cable car. No one went on it. It looks so scary. <laughs> it, was just, it, looked, it just kind of went right up there. Don't the, blame me. Don't go up there. Yeah. But it's definitely worth checking out. Gaudi designed and built seven structures over the course of his life. We got to tour Park Güell and Sagrada Familia. So I'm probably just going to talk about those two. Uh, Park Güell is probably one of Gaudi's most iconic works. And it is where I totally fell in love with his work. It's now a private park of gardens located on Carmel Hill in Barcelona. Isubi Güell, a prominent developer of the time envisioned similar housing development to London with homes that had private gardens in a community. Mm. Uh, Guell hired Gaudi to design the housing development. The intention was to create a community outside the city, away from the smoky factories, mm-hmm. with 60 luxury homes. Uh, sadly, the project was unsuccessful. It was an eight-hour carriage ride from the city center of Barcelona, so it was too far yeah. to travel in that time period, right. comparatively, it's about 20 to 30 minutes, depending on traffic. So it would make it today. Today would be fabulous. Yeah. But back then, it just wasn't practical. Ultimately, only two houses were built, and they were not by Gaudi. However, Gaudi's style and design can be seen throughout this park. At the entrance, there are two structures, an administrative office, and this porter's lodge. These buildings were inspired by German uh, tales Brothers Grimm, the Hansel and mm-hmm. Gretel. I guess it was a popular play at the time. The walls are built in rough stone and glazed ceramic. Um, and then the mosaic they that's added to kind of adorn them, they really look like gingerbread houses and then the steps that lead um, from the entrance up to a hypostyle um, hall which is a interior space which roof rests on columns this space was designed as a marketplace in the middle of the stairs up to this marketplace though is this really cool mosaic dragon <laughs> it's pretty spectacular the the and in this market space the ceiling the coffering uh, ceiling the decoration is like white, really pretty white tile. And I was going to show you that because I have brought my book here. We'll have to put idea. it on the website so yeah. that people can see. So oh, you yeah, see, gorgeous. It's, yeah, so these multiple 
uh, concave like domes, and mm-hmm. then there's a few are in the little domes, domes are up on the ceiling. Yeah, or these designs, and then and then there's this little these rings in some of them. They mm-hmm. actually attach um, uh, chandeliers for the oh, marketplace. Wow. So it's it's really very pretty, very spectacular. And then the other cool thing is these those columns um, act as a conduit running inside, allowing them to collect water from above, which is a sand um, open area. And so they collect that rainwater, it filters down through the through the open square, which is so forward thinking mm-hmm. and that kind of, yeah. that you know was used to for the gardens. So yeah. Pretty amazing. Way ahead of their time. The area above that, um, the columns, um, above the columns is this 3,000 square meters or 31,000 square feet. It really felt like a football field. And here, let me show you that picture because it is, and I had that right there. It, and it's got this fabulous view. Oh, it does look like a football field. But it's, it's huge. huge. It's but huge. sand. Yeah, and that's sand. But Gaudi created this serpentine kind of like shaped bench. So sections are concave and convex, allowing for residents to chat in groups. It's said to be the longest bench in the world. Hmm. And it's made of broken plates and leftover tile. I love that. I know. So he, again, yes. again, ahead <laughs> of his time. And also the bench has a built-in backrest, making it really comfortable and ergonomic. There's like a, a rolled area that kind of fits where mm-hmm. your back is. Which I wouldn't have known anything about yeah, ergonomics. Yeah, it's, it's so yeah. amazing. And the center of the square, again, is not paved. It's just really, it's just, it's just really grand. So Gaudi plans certain paths, too, for um, this area for pedestrians. And they're below and then above for these carriages. He created a kind of a covered area for the pedestrians. He designed roads um, using local stone and incorporated them into landscape with nature in mind. Like you will see tree trunks um, supporting branches that are kind of vaulting underneath the roadway, mm-hmm. allowing tree- trees to be part of the design. Mm-hmm. Um, he created these really neat bird nests in the terrace walls of this roadway that imitate the pine trees above that are planted. The main path is known as the Rosary, and it is lined with a row of these really large stone balls to resemble um, prayer beads. Mm. It's really, uh, truly an amazing place to visit. The other Gaudi work I toured was Sagrada Familia, Holy Family. And many have said it's Gaudi's magnum opus. I mean, we only toured the outside. It was after we uh, toured Guell Park, and it was beautiful up there, and then the weather didn't hold, and it poured. So we're standing in the rain, but I was like so engaged, I didn't yeah. care. And you're uh, or- in Oregon. You're yeah, we're, I'm used to the rain. But it hit, he, uh, Gaudi began construction of this monumental church in 1882, and it is still under construction today. Oh, my gosh. I mean, due to Spain's Civil War in 1939 to, 19, to 1940, it, um, and other times in the 1940s and 1990s, there were insufficient funds, mm. as well as now with the pandemic, yeah. it's kind of held up completion. And funding comes completely from donations. Our tour guide said they hope to have it completed by 2026, the 100th year um, anniversary of Gaudi's death. It's probably one of the most visited sites in Spain. Gaudi was just 30 at the time when they broke ground. While he worked on its construction, Gaudi took over when the original architect resigned. And he worked on other projects and then spent the next 43 years working wow. on um, Sagrada Familia. Uh, so 2026, this would be a good expedition for yeah, us to go definitely. check this out when it's completed. It didn't take him long to transform the original plans into his own 
very <laughs> ambitious structure. He combined natural forms with Christian symbolism. He knew it wouldn't be completed in his lifetime, so he left detailed drawings, which have been carried out um, by architects over time. They really are trying to keep the integrity of that. Authentic to what he wanted. And even in the building construction, they're trying to keep it of the time, even though I've seen they're doing a lot of modern things, but Mm -hmm. it's still with that in mind. But uh, he was completely devoted to his great vocation, as he stated, serving God through architecture, which I love. Like many churches, Sagrada Familia is laid out in the shape of a cross. There are three Mm. facades, um, the nativity, Jesus' birth facing to the east, the passion, Jesus' death and resurrection facing the west, and the glory, Jesus' eternal life facing to the south. Uh, The Mm. nativity focuses on the birth of Christ and contains four bell towers, each designed of, of human, plant, and like animal figures. The intricacy is just amazing. And I love that he knew that there would be a legacy of architects. And so the passion was facade was carried out by Joseph Maria uh, Sabrox, uh, built in 1954. It represents Gaudi's general characteristics. It was very modern. The lines are a lot different. They're a little more stronger and not so rounded and mm. just a, a different... There's a different feel, feel to him, which is interesting because that's 54. 54, so it's still yeah. I mean, but slow to say modern, yeah. But <laughs> that, yeah. Um, and there are 12 exterior towers that represent the 12 apostles, uh, four interior towers to honor uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The word sanctus decorates the towers of this church, and sanctus is Latin, means holy. So there's something that it gave me chills just mm. seeing that word on something just holy, holy. It's multiple all on on the facade, and it's just and there's so something to be worked on that. Yeah, and just to see that there is so much more to this architectural genius. The last thing I really wanted to focus on was the main entrance which is made of bronze doors weighing over 2,000 kilos or roughly 4,400 pounds. Wow. So, okay, super heavy. But these doors have the inscription of the Lord's Prayer in 50 languages. And our tour guide mm. really emphasized that they really want this to be inclusive to all. I love And I just, that really that. resonated with me. I'm like, I love that. Yeah. I didn't get to see the interior, which looks incredible from the photographs I saw online. The stained glass windows look like none other. And I think we need to go back and I need to, to go inside. I think, yes. I think my, I think I was on the cheaper yeah. tour because we didn't go we inside many yeah. things, but that's okay. Sadly, uh, Gowdy was, as you can gather, a workaholic and he remained a bachelor, never married. He was in love with one woman, uh, Josepha mm. Moreau. She was a teacher, but however, it was not reciprocated. So he dedicated most of his waking hours to his craft because of his strong faith in Catholicism and his work on Sagrada Familia. He's been nicknamed God's architect, which is very is fitting. Sounds like it. He was also a modest man. In 1926, at 73, Gaudi was hit by a streetcar and was left to die because passerbyers mistook him for a pauper. He's like in tattered clothing. He died three days later. Mm. So really sad. It's horrible. Yeah. In 1992, the Association for Beatification, which is the one step before becoming a saint for Antonio um, Gaudi, was put in motion. Gaudi was officially named Servant of God. And in 2010, Pope Benedict XVI 
so that's pretty pretty cool. It's yeah, still it's unclear if he'll officially be named a saint. I kept kind of digging around. I couldn't mm-hmm. find that answer. But I was just really, regardless. Though, it's, I mean, he's yeah, obviously. I think deserves sainthood. Yeah, even if he doesn't get the official title, right? Yeah, I mean, this guy's great. I was just so amazed to learn about his work and just inspired by this dedication to his work and his faith, and really blown away by his ingenuity and design, especially given the time period. Mm-hmm. And I love that he thought about nature incorporated in his planning, and totally respect his forward thinking. I'm using these recycled, you know, materials. The use of a conduit in Guelph Park, it's just, to me, pretty amazing. Sounds like modern times. It It doesn't sound like something. Yeah. And I just, too, do feel so blessed to be, have that travel experience. Mm -hmm. Not only, you know, just to, you know, be with my daughter, which was so sweet. Mm -hmm. And it really inspired me. And I have to say, I love that about our podcast. As we say, looking for inspiration where we can find it. And I certainly found it in Barcelona. And I just... It kind of reminded me of being in college when I was studying art history, just that excitement of learning about something being made or created Mm -hmm. or built. I don't know. It just kind of sparked that in me. That's Uh, one thing I do love, too, about podcasts is just learning about stuff and things I wouldn't have taken the time I probably wouldn't have dug, exactly. I probably wouldn't have dug into this. Yeah. I might have been inspired, but I would yeah. have left. I wouldn't I wouldn't have bought the book. Yeah. And in you the, would have called it good. And I would have been like, oh, that was neat. Yeah. Here's yeah. my postcard. Yeah. And now you have me wanting to travel to, to, Barcelona. to check this out. Yeah, exactly. Cool. There are no straight lines or sharp corners in nature. Therefore, buildings must have no straight lines or sharp corners. Antonio Gaudi. I saw a sweet story about a message in a bottle that traveled 3,200 miles. That's cool. Sasha Yanak, age 11, and his neighbor friend and fishing buddy, Wayne Smith, age 62, had pulled a bottle out of the water at Baha'i Marina in Ocean City, Maryland, back in 2019. The bottle contained two $1 bills and a note from two American women. Unfortunately, they were unable to track down the women, However, they did follow through on the letter's request to pass it on. Mm-hmm. Sasha went home and wrote a note and sealed the letter with two $1 bills and plastic kitchen wrap. Two weeks later, Sasha and Wayne threw the bottle over the side of the boat while fishing off the shore of Ocean City. The two forgot about the bottle. Now, it's a few years later, and Sasha and Wayne's bottle um, was found by an Irish couple, Siran Maron, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, and Rita Simmons, on the beach in Dongle, Ireland. So this went from East Coast yeah. states yeah. to Ireland. To Ireland. It's pretty cute. Once the couple found the boat, the boat bottle, excuse me, they knew it was going to take them on an adventure. And after carefully retrieving the letter from the bottle, they let it dry overnight before they unrolled it. And the couple read the letter the next day and learned it was written by an 11-year-old boy, Sasha, Aww. from Maryland. <laughs> so cute. In the note, he talked about his favorite hobbies and his three buddies, Stone, Lisa, and Wayne, his little fishing, the fishing buddy. <laughs> the 62-year-old fishing buddy. Which is really sweet. He, adorable. He wrote that he loved riding bikes and boogie boarding. He included his phone number with a plea, please, please call. The couple was so excited, they phoned him immediately. 
They were so disappointed to find out that the phone was no longer in service. But that didn't stop them. They were determined to follow through on this request. (laughs) The couple said it was really a magical thing to find this message. The letter only specified the boy's first name and location. So when the, the couple reached out to Ocean City newspaper, luckily the reporter knew Sasha's parents and connected him uh, to Facebook in January 2022. So Saucer was so moved that the couple reached out and found him, especially since he just lost this past August, Wayne, his Aww. fishing buddy. And the family was still grieving the loss. And the Irish couple, you know, hearing the backstory behind the bottle, you know, made their find so much more meaningful. And I just love that the Irish couple said that they thought Wayne had a part in bringing them all together. Oh. And it really it goes to say, you know, say, you know, the world is really a small place. Mm-hmm. And the Irish couple and Sasha's family have been communicating regularly and now over the phone and they're planning a trip to Ireland. I just love this. It's That's such a so wonderful cool. reminder yes. that there's hope in people yes. and even halfway around the world. Yeah. And it's just so much similarity. Yeah. I mean, you know, we're alike in a lot more ways than we're different. Right. For sure. So I love that. I gotta say how excited I am that things are opening back up. Oh, for sure. Um, I went and saw a girlfriend from the club is in, she's starring in Mamma Mia. Oh, that's so Down cool. at Theater in the Grove. It was oh, so fun. Hmm. We did like a date night and just had a blast. So I'm super excited that things are, you know, slowly, safely opening. Yeah. I love that we got to taste our Remy wine. So and hopefully good. people will go listen Check to episode out. 73. It's really good. Yeah. And then and next, check out our episode. next Saturday where we're going to do Zolve. We're going to be yes. cleaning up, um, I think, on the West Slope there in Portland, Oregon. Uh, I hope we have good weather. I hope we have good weather. <laughs> but it'll be... Yeah. And then we're um, going to meet with a friend to maybe talk about Oasis, which yeah. helps with um, survivors. That's awesome. So busy week Lots ahead. Lots of fun I'm super stuff. excited. Yes. Nothing is invented, for it is written in nature first. Antonio Gaudi. Thanks for listening to Tangential Inspiration. We really want to hear from you. Email us your comments or story suggestions at tangentialinspiration at gmail.com or leave a comment on our website, tangentialinspiration.com. Our website has all our podcast episodes, show notes, stories, follow-ups, and links to websites and books we talk about. Like and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app, and you can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Have a great week.